Hi, this is Nikolai, and my co-host is Michael. Hi, Michael. Hello, Nikolai. And this is Postgres FM, and today we talk about memory management, shared buffers, work mem, effective cache size, maintenance work mem, auto vacuum work mem, and so on, right? Yeah, absolutely. And just before the show, actually, you were telling me you had a joke about this. I forgot it. Yeah, nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's try to be shallow because it's easier, and but very wide. I mean, we will try to cover as wide as possible in half an hour, and uh, we can give tips where to. If if people want to dive deeper, we can recommend some great materials, great resources such as articles, books, and so on. Source code. So, where do you want to start? My experience is very biased because I make a, a tool for optimizing individual queries. So these system-wide things don't come up as often in the conversations that I'm having. But my understanding is that a lot of people still don't, and there seems to still be disagreement in the community about what is a sensible setting for things like shared buffers. What is a sensible setting for things like work mem? So some of these uh, extremely high level, but extremely important settings have some debate around them and very uh, experienced people disagreeing with exactly what the doc should say or exactly what equation to use to set these. And there seems to be some like differences of opinion from people more in the theory versus people more in practice. Very different if there's, uh, depending on the, the database, like how big or small it is can make a huge difference to what the advice should be. So yeah, I think there's a good high level overview we can do. So I'd probably like to start with maybe shared buffers. It feels like there's there's a few things that Postgres use shared memory for, but that's the biggest, right? Or normally the biggest. Yeah, I agree. This is probably the number one in terms of memory management to consider. But there is also underlying thing that we probably should be should go before it. And the underlying thing is called page cache of or operational system file cache. So Postgres always works through it. It's, Postgres never reads files from disk, from file system. It always goes through page cache. So the first cache, well, first of all, why, why cache? Why do we need cache? Because SSD is quite fast, right? It's like you can do a lot of operations per second. The latency is quite good sometimes below one millisecond, it's quite good. Of course, uh, memory is much better, definitely. So, of course, we still, despite of the rise of new uh, external storage devices, memory is still several orders of magnitude faster. And we have a lot of memory lately, like we, you can uh, easily have a server with uh, hundreds of gigabytes and sometimes already terabytes of memory. And memory is super fast. And of course, uh, it's, it makes sense to keep uh, a lot of data in memory. So final latency, latency of query execution is better for our end users. Well, our end users are not end users of our systems we usually use. Our end users from database perspective are some application nodes or sometimes humans, but very often not humans. And we want, uh, of course, query execution to be very fast. Performance is critical, critical for databases, so that's why we want cache. And we always have page cache underlying. 
before even going to shared buffers, we have it. And usually when we think about it, we don't know how much it will be originally because like Linux, for example, Linux uses for page cache everything it has, which is not used by others, right? All free memory becomes our page cache memory. And this, this is good, this is fully transparent. And only then we have the buffer pool, which is controlled by shared buffers, and it's allocated at startup time. And it cannot be changed during, uh, while we run server, and this is a big limitation Postgres has. One of the biggest items I would like to be changed in Postgres, but it's very hard. I mean, it would be great to change shared buffers uh, without restart, but right now it's not possible. So if you want to adjust shared buffers, the size of the buffer pool, you need uh, to restart your Postgres. And uh, since it's allocated, we need to think uh, how big should it be. But thinking about it, we should consider underlying cache, the page cache. So we, Postgres basically has two levels of cache, page cache and buffer pool. And uh, the rule of thumb right now, 25%. I remember when we started to have more than a few, couple of gigabytes of memory on most machines, there was a debate, like at some point, uh, the, the rule was 25 if it doesn't exceed like eight gigabytes, but now it's already, it's okay to allocate 100, 200 gigabytes and uh, it's normal. And I, I should notice uh, that 25% is not optimal. Depending on your workload, you probably want to allocate 80%, for example, but it's risky. Of course, like I would like to allocate like 90% to shared buffers, Linux would use less memory for the page cache, but it's okay because shared buffers is smarter than page cache. For example, in some cases, uh, Postgres decides to use very limited area for of shared buffers. If, for example, if you perform sequential scan on a large table, page cache doesn't know that it's a sequential scan. Linux doesn't know it. And uh, it will spam your cache, page cache. It will spam it. But buffer pool, you will have a ring, so only limited area, I don't remember, 256K, I don't remember. So basically this process will use uh, only limited area to read whole table, and it won't, evict, it, it won't cause eviction of useful data that is needed by other backends, right? And, uh, so buffer pool is smarter than page cache so we would allocate to 80 or 90% but it's risky because we can be uh, we can hit out of memory state sooner yeah so lots to go on i think uh, 25% is does seem to be i think it's even mentioned in the postgres docs it's mentioned in a lot of guides it's interesting you say it's not optimal but like it may not be optimal. Not. like there's a there's a, there probably is a workload. Like if, for example, your tables and indexes are almost exactly about 25% of your RAM, like if they fit exactly well, in shared buffers, well, maybe that is an opt. But I'm just saying like there is possibly. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I um, agree. The problems we've got are that the default is so low that it's unlikely to be a good starting point. 25% probably gives you a better starting point for experimentation, but then to experiment, you need restarts and or you also need to be able to replay your workload and things like uh, that. So it's, it's a tricky, yeah. tricky one. And before I move on, though, I did really want to say there's a really good tweet from Andres Freund that I thought, I couldn't believe he managed to summarize this in basically two tweets, but 
the reason that your statement is is a good one that is probably not optimal is that assuming your data doesn't fit in RAM, which is like a lot of people, it will. A lot of people, it, you're, if you're working on a small database, uh, your data might well fit in less than 25%, in which case you're probably going to be fine. It's probably going to be... Or like, 10% off, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But the people that are going to have problems with this, the people that are going to going to need to listen to this or look into some of these links are probably people that have got much larger data sets than will fit easily into RAM, or at least it'll be extremely expensive to get a server where they would fit into RAM. And then you've got the problem of the Postgres, yeah, the shared buffers, the Postgres cache versus the operating system cache. And I think Andres does a great job of simplifying the fact that you can have it saved in both. And if you have the same data duplicated, that's inefficient for your cache hit rate. That's why 50% probably is not a good idea at all, right? So you need to move this slider either to one side or to different side. Exactly. And I would prefer to move it to, nine, to 80, 90, but it's risky. I've seen more commonly people like starting to point to maybe closer to 40 at the higher end and towards 10 at the lower end. But 80 or 90, it, does, it just sounds wild to me when you consider what else we want to use memory for. My personal experience, I spent like some time studying various cases and uh, making a lot of experiments, trying to develop full automated methodology. So each particular database, we take workload, somehow it's a different topic. Yeah. And we just uh, run a lot of experiments and see where is our optimal point. Sometimes we have local optimum before 50% and slightly better op optimum after like we passed 50 and go closer to 100. But again, it's risky. We can discuss why. Mm -hmm. But eventually I got disappointed in this area completely, like absolutely disappointed uh, because uh, query performance, things you do hits more. Like right now I prefer to say like, let's just, put 25%, we know probably don't, we are not optimal, but we are on safe side. And let's first, first focus on different settings which are very influential and query optimization. And uh, if we do need to squeeze a lot from performance, like for example, we have 10,000 Postgres nodes and we need to save on memory, we need, to, we need to really optimal performance, then probably it would make sense to find better setting than 25%. But in my opinion, if you start with 25% for LTP workloads and then say we are going to optimize it and say maybe 40 is better, you have premature optimization because most likely you have different things to tune first. And not to tune, but query, optimize workload, you lack indexes and so on. You need partitioning to, make, to have data locality, to use the buffer pool better, more, more efficiently. And if you focus on that areas, maybe when you return and think about 25 or 40%, which, which will probably give you 10% benefit, you think like later, 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 and you keep 25% for longer. This is my current understanding of, of this topic. And again, like I would like to thank Henrietta Dobrovska. I, I, I always forget the uh, I'm bad with names, as usual, but I would like to thank her uh, because it was like a cold shower for me when I presented our approach for Postgres config tuning with experiments and so on in New York some maybe five years ago. And she said, like, 
you can optimize a lot, but then developers or ORMs write bad queries and all your optimization is vanished because queries lack indexes or written poorly or like and so on. And uh, I, again, like my experience was like, no, no, config optimization is super important. Let's do it. But then I switched completely and now we work on query optimization as well with experiments and uh, thing cloning and so on. It's, it, it was, the change happened there. So that's, I say like shared buffers optimization is probably number 10 uh, item you want to optimize. Put 25% and go else, elsewhere first. Yeah. But given our topic is memory, memory management. Well, what? we have other memory settings we, we need to consider, and they yes. are also very interesting. But uh, shared buffers, of course, uh, number one in, in terms of Postgres configuration, because it's hard to change, because restart mm -hmm. is needed. And uh, it's influential if you don't change it at all, because default, original Postgres default is 128 megabytes, right? And there is also different default dictated by apt or yum uh, packages, which probably half of gigabyte, I don't remember, maybe 256. But these days we can use these settings on Raspberry Pi and also not on the latest models because latest models have like eight gigs of memory. So this default settings of shared buffers and Postgres config is so outdated that can be used only on teapots. So it's teapot Postgres style. So it should be always tuned, but 25% rule is, is good enough. The one exception is that a lot of people these days, their default config is now the default config chosen by their cloud provider. So, And this is because of the reason you said, yeah. this is one of the few settings that I see almost, well, I've seen every one I've checked has, has tuned this. Not always to people's taste, but yeah, this is one people. The, the and they use 25%. Right. Most not of all of them. Not? What, what's no. Well, I haven't checked all of them like recently and started new instances, but I was talking to a customer of Heroku just recently, and they're having a real ordeal trying... Heroku is... Uh, it's very old solution. Yeah, but lots of people are still on it. Yes, I know. I, I have customers as well, yeah. And they have tune ship. They have changed. They don't have PG repack even. I know, I know, but they have changed it, but not to twenty five percent, which is interesting because that means it's a deliberate decision not going with what the docs say. Like I think the easiest, the the least because this decision was made before it was written into docs. Uh, maybe. <laughs> so probably you you they, probably they still apply twenty five, if not uh, more than eight gigs. And if it's um, Maximum eight, so maximum of eight gigabytes and twenty-five percent, and this was also a recommendation uh, in old George Berkus uh, PostgreSQL conf annotated, annotated PostgreSQL conf. conf. Yeah, it yeah. was yes, and it's, it's unfortunately quite like lagging for new versions. But twenty-five percent is current uh, rule of thumb. That's it. Let's keep it. It should be number ten. Let's agree to put twenty-five percent and forget about it for a while. Cool. So we have 25% went to shared buffers, and if we live in a vacuum, nothing else, and processors are not using memory, 75% will, will go to the patch cache, and we have effective cache size, which is additional but very important uh, setting, which tells Postgres planner how, how big are our both caches together. L not together, 
It's it's interesting. The remaining Maximum. normally people normally people recommend setting effective <sighs> cache size as three four the total memory minus yeah yeah. Quarters, no, not right? minus, not minus. It includes shared buffers. For example, if we oh. indeed ex decided to exceed 50... It, it's also... I remember several years ago we discussed it at uh, Hackers we, and Bruce Momjan was also participating and I think Bruce fixed it in, in documentation. I, I, will, I participated in that discussion. So, for example, if shared buffers is 60% and we know our processors, backends and other processors, non-Postgres processors use, say, 10%, so we have 30% left for page cache. It means that, okay, 60 shared buffers, 30 page cache, effective cache size should be either Easy. some of them, some of them wrong, right? Because we have duplicated caching. But, so either maximum or some. Sure. It's interesting. In this case, yeah, I, I already forgot, but in general, like, if we decide start with 25% for buffer pool, I, I would just put 75% for effective cache size as a starting point. But what I would like to say here, we can put 200, 500, 1000 percent of our RAM available. And since it's not a location, Postgres will work. And this helps us uh, on lower environment where we don't have enough memory, but we want planner behave similar to production, actually exactly like production. We use planner settings and work mem, the same as on production, and effective cache size is one of the most important planner settings. So we can full Postgres, and the planner doesn't look at real available RAM, real available CPU, disk, doesn't know about it anything, and doesn't look at shared buffers even. It just looks at effective cache size, and it's interesting. I still remember your tweet about that. I think you did a poll, and I got it wrong. I thought it would take shared buffers into account in the planner, but I was wrong. So, yeah, that's uh, that was a few years ago now, but, yeah, good one. I feel like we should move on. From my experience, at least, work mem is hugely important here. Is, is that the next thing you'd want to talk about, or what, where would you go next? Yeah, so so brief summary. Uh, shared buffers is more like physical uh, setting which will affect timing of query execution, of course, if uh, data is there, good. If it's not there, bad. So we need to inspect page cache again. And for Postgres, it will already will count as read buffer read, reading of buffer. But um, then it might be disk-related, but not, maybe not without disk at all. So we don't, Postgres doesn't know. That's why we need pgstat.k cache to understand. But Effective cache size is for a planner, how planner chooses. Planner thinks, okay, we expect that many gigabytes of RAM involved into caching, so it's more optimistic that like it will be in memory, or it expects some data reads happening, so more heavy operations, I.O. operations. So this is very like high-level thing, like logical, only planner decides what to do. But shared buffers is again, it's, uh, it will affect uh, timing, uh, but not the behavior of uh, buffer pool. We should mention our episode about checkpointer tuning because when some buffers are changed, and it can happen during select as well if hint bits are updated on the fly, and uh, the buffer can buffer is uh, like uh, in virtual memory, it's a Blo uh, block read by uh, from disk page yeah but it's page yes eight mm -hmm. kilo eight kilobytes uh, ex we have huge pages as well right so it's a different topic but buffer is eight kb bytes and if we 
changed at least something in it inside this page. It's considered as dirty and then checkpointer or background writer first when checkpointer and sometimes backend itself. They need to clean it so like synchronize with disk so less stress will be uh, at ne next time we need to perform recovery. And we discussed this topic, right? So we need to check pointer tuning. Uh, to, but what we didn't discuss probably is that page cache also needs tuning sometimes because if we accumulate a lot of dirty pages in page cache, it's not directly related to Postgres, but it's related to overall performance of our database. If we allow operational system to accumulate a lot of uh, dirty pages in the underlying page cache, we might have performance issues as well because we want this process to be like smoother and probably you you want to tune the behavior of page cache adjusting with, with CCTL adjusting kernel settings so page cache doesn't grow a lot and the operational system flushes dirty buffers with PT flush and so on like more often. But it's slightly outside of Postgres but it's sometimes very affects how we work with memory. So again, Postgres relies on page cache a lot, so this topic is, is should be studied as well. Okay, now what, what's left? Well, uh, work map, maintenance work map, these two guys, first of all, right? Yeah, and when you mentioned the previous episode, I thought you were actually going to mention the buffers episode, and I think there's also something to be said there before we move on, which is the when you get, like when you're, when people are doing estimations for their cache hit rate for example or if you're looking at a single query plan with buffers which hopefully you are you'll see hits and reads but though the the thing you mentioned here that's relevant is that those reads aren't necessarily from disk they could be from the rs page cache right. and we can't tell so that, explain yeah, something tell. to be aware of and statements yeah. cannot tell but pgstat cache can Yes. And unfortunately, we don't have anything for explain. It would be great to have some extension which would, would extend, explain, analyze buffers so we would see real disk I.O. But real disk I.O. can be measured if you look at proc I.O. for our process ID. You just cut slash proc slash I.O. process ID and you see reads and writes and this is real disk. So you can see it if you have access to, to Linux. Of course, not on RDS. Yeah. So sometimes you can cheat a little bit and check what's happening uh, before you run explain analyze buffers and after it nice right right work man so work man we discussed it briefly uh, mm -hmm. recently as well so the difficulty with work man nobody knows how much we will need in advance and each query can consume multiple times of work man but sometimes only fraction of work man so work man yep. this defines the amount of memory each backend needs to process query for operations like hash join, ordering, and, and grouping, and so on. And if we have multiple of such operations for one query, we might uh, use multiple times of work mem. And if, if we reach work mem and we need more, then temporary files will be created and query execution will slow down significantly. And that's because right. Postgres is no longer doing, for example, that sort in memory. It's doing that sort on external, disk using a different, external. yeah, exactly. And it's not even just per operation, but it can, if we, we did an episode recently on parallelism, it can be per right. back end per operation. So it can multiply out yeah. quickly. Yeah. Also, there is some setting for hash 
multiply. Yeah. So it's very tricky to understand how much memory you will expect. And usually we approach, we, our approach for tuning is very reactive. Of course, default for Max again is for teapots only, usually. Yeah. But it's very related to Max connections and how, how many CPUs and how many connections for backends you expect. Starting from Postgres 14, we might allow a lot of idle connections. And you mentioned uh, Andres Freud a couple of tweets and a couple of blog posts uh, related to memory consumption from, by backends and also max connections. And is it okay to have a lot of idle connections? Starting from Postgres 14, we have optimization. It, it turned out that memory management was not number one problem. Number one problem was how work with snapshots is organized. So these are very good in-depth blog posts, these two. But it's very tricky to understand how much memory is used, first of all, mm-hmm. by process. Even if you have all accesses and you see like PS, top, everything, you, you have SAR, all, all of things. But it's hard to understand in Linux how much memory is really consumed by each process. But also, we cannot limit it reliably. We cannot say, okay, 100 megabytes for each backend, that's it. Unfortunately, because if we say work memory 100 megabytes, still backend is allowed to use it multiple times because of this behavior. Work memory defines the limit for each operation, not for backend. Mm-hmm. And also we have parallel workers. So together this becomes quite a tricky topic. And our approach usually is very reactive and iterational, iterative. So we first start from some safe work memory setting. Safe approach is like, okay, we have max connections, say 300 or, or 500 for our 96 or 244 core server, big, big one. And then we say, okay, we should be on safe side. We know 25% is shared buffers. We know some backends will have maintenance work mem to be used for index creation or auto vacuum. And we allocated like four gigs or two gigs we can discuss this also. We should discuss this. And we also have maximum 10 workers of the, like, okay, 40 gigs. We have like maybe half of terabyte, 700 gigs. So 25% there, 40 gigs for maintenance workers, like uh, index creation, re-index, uh, index maintenance, because mm-hmm. it's needed all the time. And auto vacuum, like we have 10 workers of auto vacuum, one or two workers rebuilding indexes. Okay, we know, math is good here. So what's left? We, le- we have, uh, ignoring page cache, we, we have like 300 gigs, for example. For a while, we ignore pa- page cache and we say, okay, we have 300 max connections, 300 gigs. It means like we can give up to one gigabyte to all backends, right? Okay, that's good. So let's have some multiplier, two or three, because we know some queries can have multiple operations like sort or hash join and so mm-hmm. hashing mm-hmm. and so on. In this case, we say, okay, our quite safe setting is 100 megabytes times two, three, it will be 200, 300 megabytes. We don't approach, we don't reach one gigabyte per backend. Mm-hmm. It means we can use 100 megabytes for workmem. Let's start with it. And we start with it and we see, first we see, most backends don't reach it even once, but some backends exceed it, they need more. And this is imbalance. And we also see page cache is quite huge. What's left, it's most page cache. We understand, okay, our average work consumption, 
consumption for work mom is quite low but uh, sometimes we need more and so we start to tune, we start to raise it we know on average we don't reach it at all but some backends need it we can we can have two options here either to set locally in sessions if we control application code we can say set work mom right for particular query because we know it's very heavy and we don't want this query to use temporary files. Or we can just raise workmen globally. We, we observing our workload for quite long time. We see it's quite safe. And it's not uncommon to see that people are having settings not safe already. If you take max connections, take workmen, have multiplier two or three, and consider shared buffers and maintenance work when you see that we don't have so much memory. But you, we know we don't reach the limits. And this is what I was alluding to at the beginning of the episode. You say it's not safe, but you mean it's not safe in theory, not, not safe in practice. For particular database. Yeah, exactly, at, with the current workload. So it's an interesting topic. I think what you said there is actually really a good point that sometimes gets missed is it can be set at different levels. And you can, if you've got one reporting query that runs once a month, for example, you could set a higher number for that. Um, gigabyte, five gigabytes. Yeah, just especially if you for know it's single backend. Yeah, if you know it's running at a time that's relatively quiet, for example, you, and it's not going to be con like contending with lots of other things. So lots of things are possible here. Smaller servers than the ones Nikolai are talking about are available. But even for very small services, even for extremely small instances, I very rarely see one where a setting less than, less than 16 megabytes or four times the default is ever sensible as, as, for, as far as I've seen. So, and, and quite often even these small queries, even these transactional workloads do spill over for me. Like if you, you see, if you start logging temporary files, which I think is very good advice, although I saw in one of the, one of the AWS stocks that you shared with me that I'll link up, that they advise only turning it on temporarily. So I was gonna ask you if, if that was the case for you as well. But logging temporary files is extremely useful. And if you see lots of ones being logged in the four to 10 megabyte range, it's not uncommon for transactional workloads. You probably not changed the setting and it's well worth looking yeah. at. And we have statistic, aggregated statistics for temporary files, the size and number of files occurred in PGSAT database for each database. So we can, this is a good thing to monitor as well and have alerts and so on. But as for logging, I prefer logging all temporary files occurrences yeah. in tuned server. If it's not tuned yeah. and each query execution involves, uh, involves it, it will be disaster. But normally we already raised shared buffers, raised work mem, And since we raised work mem, only particular queries uh, are uh, experiencing temporary files. So it's okay to log them all. So I mean, to set zero as threshold of size to be logged. But I would say I see issues with workmen way more often than I see issues with shared buffers, probably because of my right. bias, but also because cloud providers don't tend to tune it. But because it's this scary set. It's dangerous. They don't even use that formula you were talking about. That formula that shared lots of places. I, I particularly like an EDB guide by Vic Fearing. I'll share in the links as well. Mm -hmm. But that formula, they could apply it, right? They could set a sensible setting. Annotated PostgreSQL also has it. This, this is, yeah. But my experience is they don't. They start at four megabytes still, even in, yeah, well, so maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm a bit out of date, but a lot of them uh, that I was checking didn't. And you didn't see temporary that. files and plans a lot, right? And first advice, raise workmen, because yep. I often see four megs. First advice, check your indexes. 
check your indexes well well first advice tune the query like if you're doing a massive sort yeah. and like you know like it, Se- in this case second advice apply partitioning well first advice do less yeah first advice is always buffers <laughs> because yeah. if you focus on buffers you like database is all all database optimi- performance optimization is about to do less io right and that's that's the key for good latencies timings and so on less io this is well we're possibly talking about the one exception to that in this today's topic which is m- memory right like it it's not reporting buffers when if we're doing like a sort in memory is that io i think no but like, it's still uh, io io can be like an internal memory or external memory disk okay. or page cache considered as external but let's let's forget about it it's not reported as buffers crucially if it's done in memory so that's okay. an int- like but like maybe that's a implementation yeah. detail yeah. right regardless if you do one thing as a result of this episode please check what your current work mem setting is and if it's 4 megabytes I'd check start checking your temporary yeah probably your cloud provider already tuned shared buffers uh, not uh, to optimal state but good enough state but workmen probably they didn't touch it it's still four max and yeah for modern workloads and data volumes it's it's tiny size and also <laughs> like teapot size and and so on but uh, if you raise it a lot and max connections is, is huge a lot of idle connections probably you will be out of memory so it should be also done carefully in yeah. maybe multi- multiple steps observing and so on but again like i agree with you with query tuning and partitioning is also important here because it gives data locality and uh, you you mentioned uh, when our database can be put fully to shared buffers that's great but if we partitioned we can say okay well, this, this is our total database size but this is our work set size only fresh partitions we are work intensively with and buffer pool has and page cache they both ha- have quite good simple mechanisms to understand what's needed what's not usage counters and so on and it can be studied using good extension called pg buffer cache you can study what's inside your buffer pool right now it doesn't hurt to run it it will take some time because it will scan whole the buffer pool if it's huge it will take some time but it will give you statistics like this uh, relation this index is present by these like blocks and you can aggregate it and and the documentation it's it's official contrib module shipped with postgres contrib modules and the documentation has basic examples and you can understand uh, what's inside the buffer pool right now and uh, this is interesting so if you apply partitioning these things might start improving because instead of mixing all the new data in single table and indexes also it will start improving a lot it will be more efficient Yeah, in fact, Timescale give this recommendation in their docs, I think. So they they actually talk about setting the chunk interval so that at least your latest chunk, which is their word for partition, fits in shared buffers. So that's a, another another way of thinking about it. Like you could be choosing your partitions like size uh, or frequency based on what you have available uh, memory-wise. So right. yes, yeah, cool flip yeah. way of like thinking about it. Yeah. You said you wanted to talk about something I uh, I've forgotten what it was, but we needed to make sure we covered one more thing. Yes. Well, yeah. Let's cover that. So to vacuum work mem is set to minus 0 meaning that it's inherited from maintenance work mem. It, minus by one. default. Minus minus 1. 
Yeah. Out of vacuum work memory is minus one by default. In most mm-hmm. cases, I see people don't touch it. So it means that work maintenance work memory is both about index creation and such, pres- such operations like index creation or indexing, and also auto vacuuming. And usually, I don't remember default, it's also very low. Usually you want to raise it at least like one gigabyte if you have a lot of memory or half of a gigabyte. But interesting, I made a couple of years ago, I made new experiments uh, trying to understand how beneficial it is to go to higher values. And for index creation particularly, I didn't see big benefits uh, after half of or one gigabyte. The difference between one gigabyte and five gigabytes in my experiments were low. But don't trust me blindly, it's good to experiment always, right? So you create your index with one setting, then you restart server to flush the set of shared buffers and everything. And also don't forget to flush page cache. Uh, you say echo three to some page cache, you can find it in the internet, how to flush page cache. In Linux, it's easy. It's just single line. And then you start experiment from scratch again with higher value of maintenance work mem. And you compare duration, for example. And you can compare how, how much I.O. happened, for example, and so on. It's a good experiment to run on in simple exercise, and you will see is it beneficial to raise it for your particular Postgres version of your database and your indexes and so on. For auto vacuum, I think it's, it makes more sense to raise it, but again, you can experiment and vacuum, but you need to have dirty, uh, you need to have the same number of the tuples for each experiment run. So it's interesting how to build this experiment. If our listeners have different uh, experience, please comment on Twitter, YouTube, anywhere. I would like to hear if some of you found uh, beneficial for index maintenance to raise maintenance work mem much more than one gigabyte, for example. But again, since auto vacuum work mem is set to minus one, we need to take maintenance work mem because it's used by auto vacuum workers. Multiply by auto vacuum workers, and my recommendation is three is not enough. Uh, usually, if you have a lot of cores, raise it to like 25%, for example, of cores available. And then you can understand how much memory can be consumed by auto vacuum workers as well, right? So it's can be it can, can be a lot. The limit is per worker, right? The limit we talked about earlier. Each worker can consume that. So exactly, mm-hmm. but only once, right? Not multiple times. Not like it's not like uh, only like once in this case, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. as, I, as I understand. So my my, my preference is more, if, especially if we have a lot of partitions. My preference is more workers, maybe not so big maintenance work. Mm-hmm. And uh, index index maintenance maybe just single backend recreating indexes. Maybe sometimes two, maybe three, but not many. Nice. I feel like we should wrap up soon, but there's a few links that I found really useful. One in particular we haven't managed to mention yet. So maybe we should do a quick fire round of good resources. Yeah, first of all, uh, both internal books or how, like online books. Uh, one is PDF, yep. one is just website. Uh, they're interesting from Suzuki and from Rogov. And they cover these many aspects quite deeply. So if you go, if you want to go inside, I think in this ca- case, uh, almost everyone should go inside and even backend developers could benefit from understanding how Postgres works, like process model, no threads, uh, shared buffers, uh, always to work with any relations and so on. Work maintenance, work map. This is the number one thing. 
Yeah, before you move on, I wanted to give a special shout out to the Rogov book. I was expecting, given it's translated, for it not to be as clear and well written as it is. And I looked up just before this who translated it, and that's Lyudmila Mantrova. So shout out to them because it is fantastically well written, even the English version. So I'll share link. I'll share a link to that. Yeah, I, I use this book as a reference, and I actually honestly don't realize which language I use because I, I speak both and I found both versions are good enough it means that translation is really good I agree so but yeah. before the internals we should mention documentation of course and yeah. also read, read me file in the back end uh, I don't remember in the source code so. yeah yeah, yeah but about buffer pool because it's quite well also plain English uh, explaining some details how buffer pool is organized and about pins and so on, like mm -hmm. uh, about logs. B but also interesting to for folks who are using newer versions of Postgres. In Postgres 14, we have PG backend memory con PG backend memory context system view, which gives aggregated stats for memory usage. I never use it in production somehow because I still have mostly older ver version. Well, somewhere already Postgres 14, but I need to have some probably incidents to, to start using it. It's interesting thing to keep in mind that now we have good observability tool. And in Postgres 16, pgstat.io is added. Coming soon, we, yeah. Right, also aggregated statistics for how many operations happened, timing and so on. Also very interesting. So, and pg buffer cache. These are things like our quite deep like this is enough to go quite deep yeah and also g pre-warm by the way if you yeah. want to restore the state of buffer pool you can you check pg buffer cache plus pg pre-warm and there is also automatic pre-warming starting a couple of years ago some versions ago there is a recipe so you have restart you want to restore the state of the buffer pool so query performance is good again it's also possible. I, I never use it, honestly, but I know this is possible. So knowing which is possible also sometimes is more important than knowing some details sometimes, right? I've heard people using it for experimentation, uh, but not for yeah, other yeah. things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is the opposite approach. Instead of starting cold, you probably want to start from the same warmed up state. Makes sense. And also worth mentioning that if you are on ZFS and you use, for example, database lab, you can use ZFS on production. And in this case, you have branched Postgres. You can use smaller buffer pool. Of course, in this case, uh, the cache is not so smart as the buffer pool, but it, it's good to have multiple Postgres versions, like branched Postgres versions, uh, utilizing single underlying cache instead of uh, regular page cache, it's, it's called ARC, ZFS ARC, and if like all databases are writable, running on single host, but they use single cache, ARC, A-R-C, from ZFS. And it's great to see that shared blocks are cached there, so you start new branch and you already quite fast. It's not in the buffer pool, and we need to use smaller buffer pool if you run multiple Postgres on single machine. But it's already quite fast because it's cached in this underlying arc. So it's also an interesting approach, uh, quite underappreciated, I think. But some folks run ZFS on production, and it's interesting. I think that's enough for today. What do you reckon? Right. Yeah, that's, that's it. And I, I like your idea, raise work mem as a single recommendation. Consider raising it, but be careful. Yeah. 
Exactly. I've got, in fact, I've got a blog post on that. I don't, can't believe I forgot to, to say, but I'll share that as well. Good. Right. Thanks so much, Nicolo. Um, and you. I won't see you next week because even though last week we were talking about such a good streak of weeks in a row, I'll be missing the next two. Yeah. So, you, it's called Slacker, right? Yeah, uh, absolutely. But we will have episodes no matter what. Wonderful. Well, I look forward to coming back from my holiday and seeing what they're on and being a listener. Right. Surprise. Good. Yeah, exciting. Okay. Thank you. Take care and yeah, catch you soon. Bye. Bye.